Enlightenment Radio, Rupo VSOMU Svidu. Zed Vami 24 Godini Musiki, Prami Translacy Talmishtasni Pied de Visan Harista Pied Kas Mishtagnoi Podrozi, Tokakom. chatting away in here, solving the problems of all the world, except Ukraine's. <laughs> That's why we're here. We are going to solve this problem of this war, if Putin likes it or not. Who cares? It is 29 degrees in downtown Kiev. What are you doing out? Well, what are you doing not dressed warm, and you better have a nice running car? Have you ever broken down in 29 degree weather? <laughs> I used to drive a cab in Denver, Colorado, in the snow. It would remain, there was one time it was 17, never got above 17 degrees for three weeks. And the most warmest thing you can wear is insulated overalls and insulated shoes. I didn't feel a thing. But boy, I sure picked up a lot of people that were happy to see me. <laughs> so get that car, oil change, get your radiator fixed, get everything ready for the winter. Should have already done it by now. I used to have to do that every year, but I don't live in a winter state anymore. Um, Thanksgiving is coming up here in America. This is a celebration by which we celebrate a in honor of the founding of this country. And I should read. I'll read it tomorrow. I, Lincoln wrote several proclamations, I'd say five, of Thanksgiving. He started it. He initiated it, then they ratified it, and then they made it a holiday, and then they made proclamations. And it's beautiful. If you've ever heard a leader of a country who believes in God and gives a speech with that background, with that knowledge of God in the background integrated into his speech, it's like no other country you've ever heard of. They haven't been, these guys haven't been around for years that believed in God and country in that order and divine providence how God would intervene in a war or in something. I used, to ha I used to battle with that in my mind. I used to have a conflict. Does God really intervene for us in these situations? Well, I get fellowship people and say, well, certainly he does. <laughs> okay, so I believe it now after I wrote my own book, The Ancestor. The Ancestor is a story of about a man who comes back to the South and in the 19, well, around 2015, and his great-great-grandfather died in a prison in the Civil War in Andersonville in Georgia. And he has a traumatic event happen in his life, and I've learned this to be scientifically true. Sometimes I would write things in my book, and I had no idea that they were true. <laughs> I just make it up. It's called soft science. Well, your heart electromagnetic field can line up with the sun's electromagnetic field and your mind if they're cohesive then you can see like with six senses so he had ended up seeing a time portal on his yard he woke up one morning and there was a 200 confederate soldiers parked in his backyard <laughs> so he didn't know what to think of that so he crosses the creek which is the border of the new 1864 and his coat turned, his robe turns purple wool. And he's looking at these kids cooking. He said, what are you, what are you guys, some sort of a reenactment? And they looked at him kind of funny. He goes, oh, 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 no, okay, that's fine. Anyway, that's my book. I'm not going to tell you anymore. He lives in two worlds or two, two different times at the same time. So when he walks into the world of the portal, the portal actually teaches him things. And he walks back into eight, 2015 and... 
That's what the story of the book is about. It's soon to be an up-and-coming fe feature film <laughs> worldwide. <laughs> I think it would make an interesting series now. I mean, there's never been an easier time, never been an easier time to be a filmmaker now than there ha filmmaker than there has been now. And there's so much junk out there. You gotta get gotta get your story out there. Well, <clears throat> one of these days, somebody's gonna make a screenplay, a movie out of the Ukraine war. You know that. Just like they did World War II and Japanese and Vietnam, there'll be a movie about the Ukraine war. And I don't think it's going to favor Putin very light. Very, very, very good. When they shine a light on him, he will be one of the evil puppets, most evil puppets in the world. He, he, he will be up, up there with Genghis Khan and Hitler and Stalin. He'll be up there with them. <clears throat> I'm looking for a story. Where'd it go? Uh, let's begin with this. Story, I love this uh, female reporter, too. I always forget their names. I'm a name guy. I'm not a name guy. You know, I'll ask a person, what's your name? With the intent of remembering their name, because that's a salesman's tool to repeat a person's name several times, you kind of win them over. Well, I can't remember her name. My sidekick here is about ready to look her up. Here we go. Pioneer viewers, as you know, our agenda is the Russia-Ukraine war. The war continues on the front line in its all reality. As the war progresses, the losses of the both armies are increasing. Loss management is an important criterion in the war process. Modern states aim to minimize their losses. Although it is very difficult to fight without casualties, it is possible. Where and how military losses are incurred is also an important detail. If most of an army's military losses occur during the combat, the staff intelligence of the commanders is problematic. If most of the military casualties occur outside of the combat, there is a great inexperience. In professional armies, non-combat casualties are also as low as possible. This is because military personnel take necessary maintenance and precautions in a time and manner. When Russia's invasion attempt against Ukraine, non-combat casualties which are frequently on the agenda are pushing the Russian army onto a corner. In addition to heavy losses in war, the Russian army also suffers losses outside of the war. Due to the careless actions and inexperience of military personnel, significant Russian losses are also experienced outside of the war. The Russian army has great difficulty in compensating for its losses. We have already reported that the Ukrainian army organizes successful attacks on many Russian targets within the scope of strategic operations. As a result of the attacks organized by the Ukrainian army, the sensitive points of the Russian army were revealed. Thanks to the strategy implemented since the first days of the war, the Ukrainian army has managed to disturb the Russian army's system with very little losses. A fire in Russian military facilities have also attracted a lot of attention in recent days. Now, if you're ready, let's examine the latest developments together. As the pioneer, we continue to report on the Russia-Ukraine war. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and turn on notifications so that you don't miss our daily map reports and reports on the agenda. I also read all your comments on our videos. Please continue to share your ideas about our content in the comments with us in. Let's start if you're ready. Tell us your name, sweetheart. An image that emerged recently was shared by the thousands of people in short time. The shared videos showed a big fire and explosions as a result of the information provided by the locals, detail emerged. It was determined that a severe fire broke out in the Russian Defense Ministry facility near the city of Kotluban in Volgorod, up last, about 585 miles from Moscow, the capital of Russia. With the start of the fire, an incredible cloud of fire and smoke firm. Explosions occurred from time to time due to the fire. According to the statements made by the authorities, the fire was brought under control with difficulty. Stating that there were no civilian casualties, the authorities did not share information about the other casualties. The fire broke out in the arms depot just after the midnight local time. The fire was brought out under the control after the hours of work. According to the information obtained from local sources, a drone was heard flying in the military facilities before the fire started. So far, there have been no official confirmation that the causes of the fire is related to the drone activity in the region. However, there are many claims about the cause of the fire. According to the information announced by the Russian Defense Ministry, two Ukrainian drones were destroyed in the Bransk region. 
It is thought that the attack of the said drones started the fire that broke out in the Russian military facility. While it was stated that there were no civilian casualties, about 40 people living in the region were evacuated to another region. Denis Arafif, who lives in the region, stated in statements that military exercises are constantly held in the military facilities in the region. On the night of the fire, he said that he heard a big noise when he went out in the balcony. He said that the fire started immediately after the sound he heard. The Russian army has recently been unable to prevent drone attacks organized by the Ukrainian army. As of September 2023, there have been more than 200 suspected drone strikes on the Russian territory. The Russian defense systems have failed to intercept the attacks targeting Russian military infrastructures. Ukraine has not claimed responsibility for any drone strikes in Russia or the occupied territories, although Ukrainian leader Vladimir Zelensky has previously said that such strikes would be inevitable, natural, and absolutely fair. The Ukrainian military's success in the use of drones is well known. The Ukrainian army has a very high success rate in drone strike. Ukrainian army engineers continue to develop new technologies every day. In Ukraine, which has witnessed radical changes in the understanding of war, Important developments are taking place in the field of the unmanned aerial vehicles. The Ukrainian army plans to include new technology unmanned aerial vehicles into the war in the coming days. Unmanned aerial vehicles produced by the Ukrainian army entirely with the Ukrainian resources pose a great danger to the Russian army. The Russian army is dependent on Iran for the drones. Iranian-made drones are mostly used in Russian attacks targeting Ukrainian territory. The air defense units of the Ukrainian army, on the other hand, successfully thwarted the attacks by the Russian army. The Russian army is struggling to recover from the losses it had suffered. It is looking for the solution, but times is running out. Russia is not getting what it wants in the war and it's being cornered in the international politics. The European Union is reportedly considering a new crackdown on Russia's lucrative oil export industry by monitoring the narrow Scandinavian waterways through which is a third of Moscow's crude crashes global markets. The European Union has begun work to inspect tankers carrying Russian oil looking for a non-Western vessel and blocking potential Russian ships. The European Union which is preparing to put an important obstacle to Russia's exports, is cornering Russian further. Experts say EU negotiations Here are underway for the Denmark to control Russian ship in the Danish Straits, the five narrow waterways between Denmark and Sweden that connects the Baltic Sea to the North Sea. About a third of Russia's seaborne oil exports pass through this route. In this respect, the Danish Straits represent a potential choke point for Russian crude oil exports, if only the represented plan goes into the effect without discussion. The Danish Foreign Ministry has stated that the General Denmark has consistently supported the strictest sanctions that can be agreed within the EU. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov also refused to answer questions about the aforementioned discussions. Peskov told reporters that everyone should be warned in the advance about the need to comply with all the rules of international commercial transportation. Peskov's statements were interpreted as a sign that things are getting worse for Russia. More detailed information on sanctions are expected to be announced in the coming days. What do you think about the huge fire at the Russian military base? What do you think about the Ukraine's attacks on the Russian targets? Do you think Russia has been backed into a corner? What do you think about the new sanctions Russia is facing? We care about your opinions. Please share it with us. She sure knows how to speak military speak. If I sat down at dinner with her, as her husband, I go, what'd you say, honey? <laughs> what was that? Can you repeat that again? She knows her war talk, war speak. Well, I'm trying to download another story. In the meantime, I'll play another one. There's a lot of successful stories going on here, and I do not miss them. I am a pro, anti, pro-Ukraine, anti-Dr. Evil, and mini-me. Somebody try to hassle us about posting that on our website for a copyright. Do we care about copyrights here at Enlightenment Radio? Ah, a little bit. Who is dinging my bell? Was that you, Ravi? Okay, somehow all that feedback came back that it left. That's somebody else. Here it goes. Putin's lost the war already. This is the title of this speech. During the recent escalation of the Ukraine-Russia conflict, 
an unexpected event has arisen that has significantly raised tensions to crisis level. The Ukrainian military conducted a major air operation targeting the port of Sevastopol, an important naval base for Russia's Black Sea Fleet. This bold attack significantly increased tensions in the Black Sea region and marked a new stage in the ongoing conflict. The Crimean Peninsula, which has been under Russian control for a long time, is home to the port of Sevastopol, an important base for Russia's Black Sea Fleet. The importance of Sevastopol extends beyond its naval capacity. It serves as a critical logistical and strategic point in the region for Russia. Ukraine's air operation against Sevastopol marks a bold shift in its military strategy and demonstrates its willingness to directly challenge Russian naval dominance. The use of advanced targeting technology in this operation caused serious damage to the assets of the Russian Navy located in the port. After the operation, the Crimean Peninsula was engulfed in flames, which symbolized a serious blow to Russia's naval superiority in the Black Sea. The fact that Russian President Vladimir Putin held an emergency meeting after this unexpected attack revealed the seriousness of the situation in terms of Russia's strategic position in the region. The international community has decried this development with growing concern, recognizing that this is a potential escalator in already tense relations between Ukraine and Russia. The latest incidents are a continuation of the high-tension relations between Ukraine and Russia, which have been particularly tense since the annexation of Crimea Dekrine, 2014. Ukraine's recent military actions represent a strategic move to disrupt Russia's military superiority in Crimea, the center of Putin's military operations. The destruction of a Ukrainian Navy ship in the port of Sevastopol marks an important tactical success for Ukraine, and deals a significant blow to Russia's strategic naval power. Ukraine's intelligence cooperation with Israel, especially with the Mossad, is vital in detecting and targeting critical Russian military assets in Crimea. The Ukrainian resistance organization FIRE was instrumental in carrying out effective acts of sabotage against Russian forces, especially in occupied territories such as Crimea. FIRE's recent successes including the neutralization of Russian officers and the destruction of an ammunition depot, have strengthened Ukraine's national sensibility and resistance efforts. The fire resistance, in response to Putin's partial mobilization and the deployment of the National Guard in Crimea to implement it, actively opposed these efforts, demonstrating a formidable challenge to Russian forces. Ukraine's use of Bayraktar unmanned aerial vehicles has had a road effect on its military operations, including the successful attack on the Russian Navy ship in Sevastopol. These unmanned aerial vehicles have enabled Ukraine to carry out precise and effective attacks, as evidenced by the serious damage inflicted on Russian military targets. Recent developments, especially the Ukrainian air operation in Sevastopol, point to a dynamic change in the nature of the conflict, reflecting Ukraine's growing military capabilities and strategic acumen. These events not only express Ukraine's determination to resist Russian military dominance, but also highlight the evolving nature of modern warfare, in which intelligence, technology, and tactical innovations play an important role. As the situation continues to evolve, these events are likely to have far-reaching consequences on the course of the conflict, Russia's military strategy, and the broader geopolitical landscape of the region. With Prigozhin's death, the Wagner Group soldiers found themselves in a vacuum. They faced a serious lack of clarity about the succession process and who would step into the leadership role. This uncertainty covered not only the top leadership position, but also various leadership roles within the organization. The absence of a designated successor led to the emergence of internal factions, each vying for control and influence within the group. These groups represented different views on the future direction of the group, its operational priorities, and strategic alliances. Another layer of complexity revolved around the qualifications and experience of potential leaders. The group had to decide whether the new leader should have a military background, political connections, or a combination of Here both. Has this controversy has increased the, the uncertainty Marines surrounding the leadership election process. On the left bank of the a faction within the group argued that the new leader should primarily have a military background. They believed that military expertise was crucial for making tactical and strategic decisions in the ongoing conflict. Another group defended a leader with strong political connections. They believed that political influence and alliances could provide valuable support, 
resources, and protection for the group's activities. Some members stressed the need for a leader with a deep understanding of tactical operations such as guerrilla warfare, intelligence gathering, and war strategy. They argued that the ongoing conflict needs someone who is well-versed in the intricacies of military operations. Others believed that strategic leadership, including the ability to navigate diplomatic channels and build alliances, was just as important. They saw the conflict not only as a military struggle, but also as a geopolitical struggle that required broader skills. Some members decried a leader who could strike a balance between military expertise and political acumen. They argued that a leader with both skill groups can bridge the gap between the two groups and create a more holistic approach to leadership. Deck. The leadership debate also focused on the candidate's crisis management abilities. Given the death of Prigozhin and the uncertainty surrounding the future of the group, the members went in search of a leader who could stabilize the organization and ensure its continuity. Another aspect of the discussion focused on whether the new leader should maintain the group's current operational strategies and objectives, or introduce a new direction and potentially change alliances. This question underlined the different views on whether the key to success is continuity or harmony. Now, this guy's a little long-winded, and I don't know if it'll turn the war around or not. <laughs> Sitting behind a desk with that kind of analysis. So, here's our station break. You are in tune to Enlightenment Radio, home of the ultimate knowledge of body, soul, and spirit. And unlimited music, 24-7. Be sure and visit our website at enlightenment-radio.com. There you can journey through the mystical voyage and also view our schedule of programming. Thank you for listening. Well, you're in tune to Enlightenment Radio. It is drizzly, drizzly, drizzly here, but it's not 29 degrees. I hate sleet on the, on the road. That's dangerous. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from uh, the part of my book that introduces the tradition and the holiday, the official first holiday, national holiday of Thanksgiving in America and what it represents. And uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. It's only about 10 pages. No, no. 10 minutes. Not even that long. And I'm going to serve turkey to everyone free <laughs> in the office here. Why is it turkey, you ask? I have no idea. Do you know? I know I know it has to do with the Indians and the, yeah. Okay, so the Indians had the turkey. Native Americans, my bad for all you Hindus out there. <laughs> you know, our history of America is steeped in stories after stories of heroes, heroines, villains. It is just a wonderful, magnificent story. And we were given the gift of some great leaders who walked by the Spirit and walked by the truth of God's Word. Not one of our 55 founding fathers was a Trinitarian. Not one of them was an idolater. That's why they were given 
the United States of America. William Penn was locked up in the Tower of London because he wouldn't confess the Trinity. They were burning him at the stake back in those days, and they wanted freedom from religion. That's why it's the number one amendment. And the second amendment is the freedom to bear arms to protect the first amendment. Can you imagine if all you Ukrainians had weapons? We've got three hundred million households in America that have a weapon. <laughs> That's kind of holding them back a little bit, isn't it? There's a reason for it. Yeah, I know people have accidents with guns, and sometimes the trade-off seems not fair. Somebody goes in and makes a school shooting. Well, those school shootings are false flags because they want to come after your guns. They create those false flags. We've been teaching that in our recent classes on the Tea Party. Enlightenment versus the coming storm. It's up on uh, Spotify. Is, is it up, Robbie? I don't know. It should be up by at least tomorrow. The uh, Enlightenment and the coming storm. Now, it's not the storm that's talked about in Matthew 24, the Great Tribulation. That is not a storm. <laughs> that's going to be a horrific event. Very few people will survive or endure that, but those who do or endure and come back to the one true God, they will be resurrected at the resurrection of the just. So if you are left behind after all of a sudden you're in the world, and I don't want this to happen to you, you just confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you're right now, and you can come along with us to the gathering together, meet the Lord in the air, and live out eternity in a spiritual kingdom. But if you haven't, I'll leave my book behind for you so you can use it for a map of how to survive, how to endure the great tribulation that Satan is going to bring upon the earth. Okay? Trust me. God has a plan, and his plan is just really, really works. It works for me. Kiev has finally officially acknowledged that Ukrainian Marines have established a bridgehead on the left bank of the Dnipro River, occupied by the Russian army. On Sunday, the Ukrainian army said it had pushed Russian soldiers back three to eight kilometers from the banks of the river. This would mark the first meaningful advance by Ukraine's forces in months after a counteroffensive was launched last year. Today, we'll look at the significance of this development. I'm Anya Kurzun, a journalist at Kiev Post. Subscribe to our channel for regular updates, exclusive interviews, and more explainers. So first of all, what exactly is a bridgehead? U.S. military doctrine defines a bridgehead as an area on the enemy's side of the water obstacle that is large enough to accommodate the majority of the crossing force, has adequate terrain to permit defense of the crossing sites, provides security to crossing forces from enemy direct fire, and provides a base for continuing the attack. As reported by Kiev Post several weeks ago, since October 14th, Ukrainian Marines have been crossing the Dnipro about 10 kilometers upstream from the city of Kherson in small speedboats. They took with them all the equipment needed to grab terrain and hold it. Extra ammunition, food, fuel, generators, communications equipment, anti-tank missiles and rockets. It seems like the first parties were small groups of dozen or two men, but Russian resistance was reportedly light to non-existent, and more Ukrainian Marines followed. About a week later, another party of Marines crossed the river another 40 kilometers upstream. Using swarms of drones, they headed deeper into Russian territory to look for targets. Russian military observer Michael Naki told AFP that Ukraine's overall task on the left bank is to launch an offensive operation there in order to go into Crimea. Ukraine faces one significant problem in particular supplying troops on the bridgehead with enough equipment to advance further and take more territory. To do this, they will need to establish pontoon bridges, but this will be vulnerable to Russian airstrikes. At the moment, the Russian tactic appears to be to try and contain the bridgehead and bombard it from afar in order to stop a further buildup of Ukrainian troops. For Ukraine, this is already a success of sorts. It is diverting Russian resources away from other areas of fighting, but much more work is required to turn it into a major success. It's also reduced Russia's ability to launch mortars at the city of Kherson, something which has terrorized civilians since it was liberated last year. The Ukrainian general staff has stated this one of the main objectives of the operation. But Ukraine will need to deploy thousands of men and heavy vehicles on the left bank if it is to open a direct route to Crimea. 
were to be successful, an advance like that would be a major victory for Ukraine. With the Ukrainian military to gain the ability to bombard all of Crimea, Russia's ability to hold it would be compromised. It would potentially force Russia into either negotiations or escalation. If the Ukrainians managed to gain air superiority with their air defense missiles, this might mean they can advance on open farmland where the Ukrainian army could move quickly. But were the Ukrainians to fail to gain air superiority, then Ukrainian armored vehicles would risk being attacked by Russian bombers and helicopters. Naki said that Kiev's immediate task was to sever Russian supply routes. It is possible to do this. They are constantly expanding their bridgehead, he said. So right now, there is an arms race of sorts in progress, with both sides racing to dig in, concentrate drones, and inflict losses sufficient to keep the other side from taking the initiative later on. A great deal depends on which side can gain superiority in small drones and operators, and who can control the skies above the bridgehead. Equally important is which side can deliver more artillery ammunition to the fight. What is very clear at this point is that decisions made 18 months ago about the speed with which the West was going to arm Ukraine are the main break on the Ukrainian bridgeheads right now. Had the U.S. and its allies decided in May 2022 to commit to supporting Ukraine the way they're doing now, then every single tool the Ukrainians need to break out of the bridgehead would already be in their hands. So for now, that's it. We'll keep you updated on further developments, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel, click notification bell, and leave us a comment. And I'll see you soon. you are listening to is coming from enlightenment radio sound waves that lift your consciousness enhance your mood and transcends time and space visit our website at enlightenment-radio.com where you'll be guided each level of transformation to become an enlightened one Well, enlightenment is what is the, the biggest defense against propaganda. It really is. The more you are enlightened to the truth, the less propaganda will affect you with fear. All fear is negative believing. All fear is a sand in the machinery of life. What the devil wants you to do is to fear, fear, fear. He's like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. Well, what's a lion do? Jumps up behind you and roars and you freeze. He freezes his prey. Then he jumps him. I'm not afraid of Putin. Wait a minute, what's that black limo pulling up in the front yard there? Is it? <laughs> so, you know, he's a facade. He's a paper tiger. I wish somebody would call him out on it. When's the last time he won a war? Oh, he ran over Crimea. He let Obama, our great leader, Obama, the Muslim, who has a transsexual wife, by the way. Her name is not Michelle, it's Michael. How's that for enlightenment? That's not a made-up story. That's a proven fact. You know, Chelsea Clinton, the, the daughter of the Clintons one time, tweeted... Oh, I don't see anything wrong with her being a transsexual. So that confirmed it for me. <laughs> she knew it. I don't know where they got the children. So these people are sickos. Luciferians, they stop at nothing. And they have just pulverized your beautiful buildings, countryside. Your families are split apart. I'm talking with a few daughters of families who they've had to flee and they can't 
talk with them as often as they'd like. Communication in the Ukraine is limited. I hear they don't even sell iPhones in Walmart anymore. I don't know. I just hear the cost of getting something, electronic equipment that speaks and you can communicate. The best thing you could possibly do is to get a satellite phone. But that takes a lot of money. Then you can speak to anyone anywhere, from the top of a hill to the bottom of the ocean. No, not the bottom of the ocean, but the top of the hill. Satellite phones are great. And we have probably the best cell towers in the world here. I hear they're more expensive than Europe, much more expensive to have a Verizon service your phone here than it is to have a podunk service but your podunk service is going out all the time i have a pen pen pal i have to only talk to her at certain times a day in the evening i got to try one way in the mornings another way because predictably the internet or the the energy that transmits the sound and the communication is down something gets in the way if putin would have been smart he would have cut off your entire communication system before he did anything he screwed up with that because you people can communicate to one another pretty much not as like as much as you'd like to but his forces are out there in the middle of the ukraine they're cut off from each other too that's why they just surround each other and start shooting at each other <laughs> the russians do i heard that story that's like in the bible they just got in a big circle they got confused and they shot each other elijah just put his gun back in his pocket <laughs> we got one more news story one more news story and tomorrow we'll make a few announcements is wednesday this is the day everybody leaves for wherever they're going, by plane, by boat, by car, to their families. It is a chaotic day. Planes get canceled. People are stuck sleeping at the airport. Oh, there's a funny movie. If you want to see a funny movie about Thanksgiving, you remember that movie, Frenchie, Trains, Boats, and Planes with John Candy, Steve Martin? Yeah, that is a Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> it's funny as hell. <laughs> Steve Martin and John Candy. John Candy is a shower curtain salesman. Shower curtain ring salesman. <laughs> well, rest in peace, eh? Yeah, rest in peace. John Candy. Steve Martin's still He's up Canadian there. Canadian too. John Candy's Canadian. Oh, is he really? That's too bad. Oh, let's see what we got here. We've got some. By the way, watch that movie if you got a chance. Trains, boats, and automobiles. Trains, planes, and automobiles. It's one of the funniest. It was made by John Hughes. John Hughes, back in the 80s, made uh, 16 Candles. He made The Breakfast Club. He made a lot of teenage movies. He made a lot of them, and they were very funny. So, it's a good movie to watch. We could see, as the Russian-Ukrainian support effort begins to decline, uh, is a collapse of the Russian forces. We know that alcohol consumption is a big problem in the Russian army. Morale is at an all-time low. Leadership is not good. There could be an event where Ukraine achieves a significant breakthrough in, in a matter of days, uh, which causes a, a rout and a massive withdrawal or surrender from the Russian forces. Hello and welcome to Frontline for Times Radio with me, Kate Chabot. And today we are talking to Nicholas Drummond. Nicholas is a former army officer and specialist in land warfare. He has 20 years experience in the defence industry and is the UK strategic advisor on the British Army's newest all-terrain armoured transport vehicle, the Boxer. He's also a respected defence analyst and strategic consultant. Nicholas, welcome to Frontline. Thank you so much. And today we're going to use your expertise expertise to talk through some of the footage that we've been able to obtain from the front line. Um, in the last few days, Ukraine has captured the town of Robotnay, and we've seen footage of Ukrainian troops using Western equipment in this battle. Let's have a little look, first of all, at the use of the Bradley infantry fighting vehicles used by Ukraine's 47th Mechanized Brigade in Robotnay. So, so Nicholas, what, what do you notice when you're looking at this footage? Well, it reminds us um, how brutal and visceral land warfare still is. Uh, there's a real human element that is, remains constant in warfare. Um, you, you can't make an omelette without cracking eggs. And in warfare terms, that means uh, the sacrifice of human lives to achieve strategic objectives. 
And when you look at this, can you actually interpret anything about the tactics that Ukraine has used in retaking Robotone? Uh, but what they do suggest is that the Ukrainians are conducting traditional combined arms warfare uh, using tanks, IFVs and artillery to uh, using artillery to bring infantry very close to the objective and then debussing from their IFVs very close to the objective and literally using rifle and bayonets to dislodge the enemy from their positions. So very much traditional warfare. Can you tell us a bit more about the Bradley fighting vehicle and how it's being used in this kind of warfare? So basically the Bradley is um, an infantry fighting vehicle that carries nine personnel. It carries a crew of three and six dismounts. So the commander and gunner will fight the vehicle using the, the cannon, a 25mm Bushmaster cannon, and the crew, uh, the infantry dis uh, dismounted team will be in the back. And they will move as far forward as they can using the cannon to uh, suppress the enemy. It's also fitted with two tow anti-tank missiles, so good for suppressing or defeating enemy armour as the vehicle advances. And then when it gets close enough, the infantry will debuss onto the objective and take out the position. And obviously you need a, a large number of those to uh, take out an enemy position. And of course Ukraine only has a limited number, so we'll be reliant on other armoured vehicles. The Times has reported that Ukrainian soldiers use their armoured vehicles to drive right up to the Russian trenches before launching an assault. Is that something that they've learned from NATO or is it homegrown tactics? I think a bit of both. Uh, you, you obviously want to get as close as you can because the, the longer the infantry have to assault on foot, the more vulnerable they are, not only to their own artillery, which will be firing uh, as they approach the enemy objective, but also to enemy direct fire um, defending their position. So you, you really want to debuff as close as you can to, to the enemy position. And of course, what's important about the Bradley is it's very well protected. We've seen a number of them taken out, but very few uh, have crew members have been injured or killed riding in that vehicle. So very well protected and very capable. Uh, you say a number have been taken out. What does it take to, to uh, disarm a Bradley? Well, you know, a standard um, anti-tank missile, um, RPG-29, or even enough um, RGP-7s will, will be enough to um, neutralise a Bradley. So, uh, and of course, they'll have tanks dug in um, which will be using direct fire to uh, deflect the attack, uh, so T-72s or whatever, uh, and Bradley can't really withstand um, that kind of firepower. So they can, they can withstand a certainly cannon fire, but not um, big tank gun fire, which is being aimed at them. You say that um, the Bradley, are, they need more Bradley vehicles, um, not enough, and they're having to rely on other ways. What, what kind of options do they have in being able to create enough numbers, given that, that they are lacking in those vehicles? So we've seen the Ukrainians use Striker 8x8 vehicles, which are like the UK Boxer, and they've used 4x4 MRAPs, um, all, all manner of those. And also they've had the UK CVRT, the Scimitar, um, and Spartan vehicles. Um, and basically, they'll be using anything they can to bring infantry forward using protected mobility. Uh, so for, for the initial stages, they'll be using the vehicles that offer the maximum amount of protection. So vehicles like Bradley, supported by Leopard tanks, uh, or, or Challenger indeed. Um, and then they'll bring in the, the MRATs that will uh, unload the other infantry units. These are the mine-resistance ambush-protected vehicles. Exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, the minefields are proving a major obstacle, um, just the plethora of them and keeping the, the, the advance extremely slow. I just wanted to look now at some footage of Ukrainian troops clearing minefields with Western vehicles. So this is from Ukraine's 36th separate infantry brigade in Huliopol on the front. Um, just to talk through what you're seeing here, if you would, please. So what they're um, using is something like the UK's Viper or, or Python mine clearance system. And this is like a modern equivalent of the old World War II Bangalore torpedo. So you fire this explosive line and basically it clears a channel through a minefield. 
um, usually about 100 to 200 meters um, in depth and about 30 meters in width. Uh, and that will enable the uh, troops to advance um, reasonably safely through, uh, through that gap. And how important are minesweepers to Ukraine's war effort? Oh, the manoeuvre support um, that, they, that is needed to clear a minefield like this is absolutely essential. And it's the one thing that Ukraine has not had enough of. Uh, and the problem with these minefields is not just that there's so many, but they're so deep. Uh, in some cases, they're a kilometre deep. So you need to do this five times before you have, uh, can create a, an effective breach through which a, a force can pass. And all that time, you know, those units trying to force that breach will be under attack, under fire. Uh, so it makes them very vulnerable. It makes it very difficult. And that's why artillery uh, is, is very important. And there was a, 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 a big discussion um, uh, about uh, the use of, of different kinds of, of munitions um, uh, and, um, you know, particularly cluster munitions, because these have a large number of bomblets which can also be very useful in clearing minefields. Although we haven't seen that here, Ukrainians have used cluster munitions extensively to clear minefields, and, and they can create a, a large path through. So um, this kind of exercise is difficult, time-consuming, and very costly in human terms. Time-consuming, so you say. I mean, just how long does it take, for example, I just pull a figure out the air, like to, to move a kilometre forward? Uh, um, well, that's a difficult question to answer because it depends on the, the level of resistance you encounter. But, you know, it, it could probably take a, a day, literally in some areas, where there's very stiff resistance. Every guy you move forward, you know, is, is taken out. You then you have to bring someone else forward, another vehicle. You know, we saw photographs on, on Twitter of um, a number of Ukrainian vehicles taken out in trying to clear a path through a minefield. There were seven or eight vehicles. Uh, and they will have to have been recovered uh, and, and, and towed back. And new vehicles will have to have been brought forward. And that takes time. So ideally, you want to do this under cover of artillery. But the supply of artillery shells is finite. So you have to plan these operations very carefully. Uh, often you'll try to do it at night when um, the enemy will be less alert and reliant on night vision devices. Um, Western-supplied leopard tanks have also been filmed fighting in Robotone. Um, we have some limited footage of that. Let's have a look at that now. So this is, this is footage released by the Ukrainian army. Can it tell us anything about the way that leopards are being used? So this looks like a leopard too. That's a 120-millimeter gun firing, uh, highly effective at taking out other tanks, but also it, ha it will fire high-explosive shells. Uh, in the direct fire mode to take out bunkers. And so these will be providing direct fire support for assaulting infantry and will be very important in that role. The leopard can absorb a huge amount of punishment. It has very thick frontal armour. Uh, and there was a report released a couple of days ago showing a Bundeswehr colonel responsible for training um, the Ukrainian forces with leopard, saying that no Ukrainian soldier had been killed riding in a leopard tank. Uh, the Ukrainians have got uh, a fair quantity now, uh, both Leopard 1 and Leopard 2. Uh, the Leopard 2 is obviously a quantum leap above the older Leopard 1. Um, mm. Highly mobile, agile, um, and a very capable tank. Okay, that's enough military talk for the day. Sorry for the uh, long news. I thought I had some shorter ones. I did, I gave you three of them. And these guys know what they're talking about. And it's interesting to learn about it if you're, oh, I don't know, a kid that plays army in the backyard with toy soldiers. <laughs> and if you're a general, it's good to know that stuff. I happen to believe that we had some of the greatest generals that got us through World War II ever. General Patton, General Mon Montgomery, uh, General, uh, well, General Patton again. <laughs> and General... MacArthur, and he got chastised by, was it uh, Hoover? Truman? Truman, I think. Stopped him from going all the way into Korea, or going all the way into those communist countries and just keep going and keep going and never look back. He wanted to do it. 
and they fired him. So that's politics versus government. You may have some of that going along, too. We have it all the time. We have rules of engagement. You cannot fire unless you're fired upon. Well, how are you going to fire back if you get shot in the head? Stupid politicians and their wars. Politicians have nothing to do with the coming storm. They're all sold out. I don't know how many parties you have in your country. We have two, three, but they're all the same. They come from the same old. They're all bought and paid for. It's like, uh, who was that rich man? Howard Hughes. He's sitting there in the courtroom. They said, Mr. Hughes, have you ever thought of running for president? He said, why should I run for president when I can buy one? <laughs> so this is your host, Mystic Guide. We are all made of stars. We're going to win this. We're all children of light. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray every day. Get on your knees. Be grateful. Be thankful. And we're going to win this thing. You got it? By the way, tomorrow will be our last day. I'll be gone for four days over Thanksgiving. <clears throat> no music show. No tea party. And I'm going to have a good four days rest. I need it. And my in-laws make some delicious food. Food. We have turkey. Let's, let's compare it to what you would have. We have a big turkey roasted in the oven and it's full of dressing then we have yams those sweet potatoes oh. then we have green bean casserole then we have mashed potatoes cranberries or cranberry slices and sauce and what would be a few other dishes a lot of deviled eggs oh i eat the hell out of deviled eggs i can't wait anyway i'll see you next monday when i return from thanksgiving oh my god i'm gonna gain so much weight <sighs> Bless your hearts. We are all stars. We're holding back the darkness. We're going to win.